Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Natural Running Network. My name is Richard Diaz, and what I hope to do is introduce you to some amazing athletes and luminaries from the sports science community, and what has come to be expected, I'll provide some highly opinionated rants on all aspects of endurance sports and my current favorite, obstacle course racing. But before I get started, I want to give a shout out to Human Octane. If you're the kind of person who pushes the limit, then you've got to check out Human Octane Apparel. Training and racing apparel designed by OCR athletes, and these guys just get it. Everything they make dries lightning fast, has zippered pockets, is abrasion resistant in high contact areas without bulky padding. I've gotten to know these guys, and trust me, they're going to out-innovate the competition when it comes to OCR gear. Check them out at humanoctane.com. Now sit tight, grab a cup of coffee, and let's do this. Okay, guys, I'm back, and I just came off fresh from the season opener of Tough, or should I say Toughest Mutter? That's probably more appropriate. Had a lot of athletes out there crushing it. Congrats to my boy Hunter. He took the win in the early 10-mile event, and then, of course, had a stacked field for the evening. And here I am out in the middle of nowhere, wishing I was in my warm bed, and guess who I trip into? Steph Bishop. She's out there entertaining the crowd, running around, having a great time. So we got to talking, and lo and behold, I've got her on the show. Steph, say hello to everybody. Hey, everybody. Thanks for having me on, Rich. It was great meeting you out there. I'm glad you were there because I had nothing to do. <laughs> I had a lot to do, and I wasn't racing for once. So it was pretty interesting being on the other side of things. You don't do that very often. Very rarely am I not on the race course. Um, it's, I can't remember the last time I was actually on the sidelines, but I loved every moment of it. I hate to watch races. <laughs> I don't know. I'm thinking about becoming a professional pit crew after, after last weekend. It was a lot of fun. It's actually very intense, too. Yeah. Well, I think that if I have purpose, then it's great. But I spent about, oh, I don't know, 15 minutes in the evening doing some tape jobs on a few of the athletes. I taped up Miguel Medina's ankle because he's been having issues with his ankles. And I got a few people, and uh, it was good. I helped him out, and, and so I had purpose. But after that was over, I was just, like, sitting there like a dummy for, you know, I don't know how long until I, I just had enough of it. Oh, you should have come join me. I was having a blast out on the course. I was cheering everybody on, being giving them a little tough love, you know, making yeah, sure yeah. they're I hard. Get it. You did a hell of a job. There's no question about it. Thanks. I'm still recovering. My voice is still a little bit hoarse, but it was a blast. I'm like now I'm itching to race. I can't wait to get out there and race. Yeah, we're gonna talk about that in a second here. Uh, so let's talk about what you have done. And for those of you that are not savvy, you took the win at World's Toughest Mudder last year. And truth be told, if you had it your way, you probably would have put in around 90 miles based on the conversation we had. Officially, you took it down with 85 miles. And that was your first foray into the Toughest Mudder, is that correct? That is. Well, I did the first ever Tough Mudder back in 2010, I think it was. 
um, with my sister. Um, and I always wanted to do World's Toughest Mudder, but every single year I was going to go do it. I was kind of like coming back into endurance racing and I was dealing with, you know, when you're coming back and you're going to go back into these ultra endurance events, dealing with some nagging injuries and just making sure that my body was ready before I committed to it. Because I knew once I committed to it, I was putting all of my chips in. So it just so happened that I had to wait until 2016 to do it, but I'm really satisfied with how it all played out. You know what I love about this is that you didn't go into it with the attitude that you wanted to do it. You went into it with the attitude that you wanted to just go ahead and win it. Yep, that was it. I mean, there was no other option for me. I, I knew lo- that. I love that. Based upon, and it's not an ego thing. It's just I know what I'm capable of as an athlete, and I know that if I really dedicate myself to all the facets of training, not just out there running, not strength training, but recovery, eating properly, getting enough sleep, that I could I could do it. I knew I was going to be a top contender going into it. And it was actually a lot of fun because nobody really knew who I was. I had a handful of people who knew I was going. I was just kind of in rocky mode, just training, training, training. And it was great. I just showed up and ran my own race, and it worked out in my favor. All right, so I've got a question that's been burning in my heart all day. Actually, okay. a couple days. <laughs> and... Um, you know, I passed it by Hunter this morning. We were training, and I said, "So I'm going to ask her this. What do you think? Should I, or how will this go?" All right. And I'm not going to tell you what his comment was, but um, I'm going to ask you anyway. Heads up. I don't even know if anybody's ever asked this before. I'm sure somebody has, but I'm asking anyway. All right. Heads up. A healthy Amelia Boone mm-hmm. in the race with you. Mm-hmm. How would it go? I think it's going to be neck and neck. Oh, that's um, politically correct. No, well, she's a, uh, you know, we've never raced each other, actually. We have never towed the start line of the same race. Um, we, I did death race before she did death race. I left death race when she showed up. And I was never really into, you know, I never really did Spartan race. Like, I don't think I ever did Spartan race ever. I've done one Spartan race. Um, so we've never raced against each other, but we have pretty similar backgrounds. I mean, recently she's, you know, regardless of injury, she's a phenomenal runner. Um, so, you know, I've been scheming on how, how I'm going to approach this season. Um, I can't put it on record with how I'm going to approach this season, but I think I have a pretty good game plan on how to strategize to win, um, and that's all I'm going to say for now. You're just going to have to wait and see. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm okay with that. I thought that was a pretty good answer. I'll uh, tell you off record later. <laughs> okay, all right. Well, I, you know, I have my thoughts about it. Mm-hmm. And uh, first of all, I'm not terribly convinced that she is going to come back to that distance. I don't know. I mean, I, I think she's yearning to. I, I, you know, it's like her. It's it's one of those things, and as as an any athlete, uh, like of that caliber has a problem is like mentally and, and emotionally, you know, you've raced length like that for so many years and not to be able to come back to it. It's, it's heartbreaking. Yeah, it um, is. But I've also been in her position where I was had these like comebacks and they kept on being derailed by, I had Lyme disease the other year and that destroyed me for months, you know, and all these things I've gone through. So 
you know, I understand how she feels, and I also understand, though, it takes a long time to get back to 100%. It really does. It really does. And the, the extent of the type of injury she had, that's a rough one, man. You break your femur, and that's just a nasty, nasty thing to try to recover from. Yeah. I mean, that's a, uh, that you're underestimating that even by saying that. It's, it's just, I, it blows my mind. Yeah, to be clear, I wasn't casting any dispersion towards her. You yep. saw me. I'm, I'm like this old dude. And, and you know how I got to be this old dude? I've been around this stuff for 30 years, right? Yeah, well, you sent me a great video. <laughs> Can you believe the video? Oh, my gosh. I see. That's when I wanted to race back then. I was, unfortunately, like a year old. But, <laughs> but I mean, that was like the heyday. That was when triathlon was so sweet. Like, it was just such a raw sport back then. And, you know, people weren't showing up with $20,000 bicycles. It was, it was crazy. Like, it was really crazy back then. And you were, you asked about uh, feeding strategies and things that we did back yeah. then. Well, there was no such thing as sport drinks. There was no such thing as like power bars or any of that kind of energy food back then. You just had to wing it. It was like bananas and defiz coke. That was what you found at the aid stations. Water. But you know what? That still works though to this day. Yeah, so. I know. I know. <laughs> and we used to wear. Uh, it's funny if you looked at the video closely. The video of Scott Molina on his bike, he got hit by a car the day before oh my gosh. the race. So his knees kind of chingered up. But you could, when they're closing up on his, his leg, you could see he's wearing wool socks. I'm not, I'm not talking about like merino wool. I'm talking about these big baggy wool socks. <laughs> and we were wearing leather bonnets. There's no, there was no helmet rules back then. <laughs> there, there was no such thing as a hard shell helmet back then. And just crazy what uh, low-tech, you know, energy was going on. But those guys were throwing down hard, and, and uh, you know, my events were cool. We had some really, really spectacular athletes that attended. So That's the thing. It just also goes to show you that, you know, even nowadays we have access to so much technology and so much gear. And just, like, in a sense, kind of it's sensory overload. Like, just, like, focus on, like, the basics, you know, and – like, I think sometimes people get too obsessed with everything else that they lose focus of what they really need to do. That's right. And, I mean, it gets down to just the fundamentals. Yeah. I don't care how you put lipstick on the pig. At the end of the day, there are things that you just can't refute. You nailed it a little while ago. you you yeah. got to make sure you're getting good recovery. You're getting good nutrition. you got to respect the need for the time off after the work you do. Mm-hmm. Um, you're never going to get past that, right? Yep. I always say to people, recover harder than you train. Yeah. I mean, yeah. If you can't get in that your recovery, your training, it's going gonna, it's gonna to go nowhere. If anything, you're never going to make progress. You're actually going to you know, do the complete opposite. You're going to end up with adrenal fatigue. You're going to end up overtraining, and you could do months and months of damage um, you know, with a few weeks of just not playing it smart. Do you know uh, Leslie Patterson? No, I do not. She's the was the Xterra world champion. And oh, wait. I feel like now you're not you said. I feel like I know her. Little, I've heard of her. Definitely. Irish chick and tough, tough as nails. The reason I bring her up is because she had some serious run-ins with Lyme's disease. Oh, really? Yeah. I mean, it literally took her out for a season. And I mean, we had conversations about it. I, I thought, wow, how do you come back from that? 
I guess the reason I'm bringing it up, aside from the fact that you both had it, mm-hmm. was I wonder if there's something in your DNA that promotes that, but also subsequently promotes this endurance performance. I don't know. I mean, it's. I remember when I got it, and I I was really lucky because I found a rash. Not everybody gets a rash. So, you know, I was out in the woods for two weekends in a row, just in really thick brush, bush, bushwhacking, and had no idea. And all of a sudden, this massive rash shows up on my body. And I go to the doctor, and they're like, you know, take blood, you have Lyme disease. And um, it just, uh, like a few days after that, I was just exhausted. And I remember I would sleep for almost 20 hours a day, and I could never sleep enough. Some people, we all react differently. I have a friend that had it, and he had, like, flu-like symptoms. Um, it was devastating. I was just also, all that went through my head at the time was, will I ever recover from this? Or will I have this, all of these symptoms for the rest of my life? Painful too, right? Um, it was painful. I had, um, really bad migraines, um, for pretty much the majority of every single day. It was just, it was just horrible. I just felt, I felt trashed. I felt completely trashed and I was doing absolutely nothing. I was literally trying to recover all day long. And it just kept on, kept on getting worse and worse and worse. And the medication didn't make it really any better, obviously, besides the fact that it helped me get over it. But, you know, the medication made the symptoms even worse. Wow. Wow. But wow. I don't know. I remember, though, like, once I started to feel, it was one of those things. My season just started. I got one disease in the end of May. And I was like, great. Like, now I could throw away my whole year. Will I ever recover from this? And it's hard. You have to take it one day at a time, one week at a time, a month. Six weeks later, and then I slowly started to gradually feel better. I went out for my first run, which was an absolute nightmare. Um, you know, broke down in tears. All, every emotion was going through my system at the time, but I just had to take baby steps. Um, you know, and unfortunately, I ended up with a foot injury, like, not long after. They think it may be associated with the medicine that I was taking. Um, and then it was just, you know, it was like one thing after another. And I think at that moment, it was mostly having, like, a really good support team around me, the people like my physical therapist, uh, my friend that owns the gym that I train at, people being like, it's fine, you will get through this. Like, hang in there. Just be, we're going to keep you on on path. Even though it feels like you're doing nothing, doing small little things, you know, every day or every other day, it's going to help you in the long run. And that's exactly what happened. You must have went through this, like, why me? Why me? Right. Oh, completely. I mean, I went like total 180. I'm committing myself to doing this full time. I'm going to dedicate 110% every single day to eating, to sleeping, to training, right? To everything. Like I'm going to do it properly. I'm not going to overtrain. I'm not going to do all this high intensity stuff. And then bam. And you're like, really? Come on. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, All right. So let's talk about a couple other things here. The winter ADK 46. Yes. That was the Adirondack 46 high peaks. Yeah, yeah. Now, most normal people have no freaking idea what that is. And so I'm going to let you just kind of drop the bomb. Let people know what kind of a nut job you really are when it comes to endurance. So um, I was looking for something out of the box. Um, You know, I'm doing now, I've done those death races back in the day, and I've gotten into adventure racing, and I love all this racing, but we're really, you know, gets me going are these out-of-the-box, completely crazy challenges. So I was looking for something that wasn't really tapped into. And being a New Yorker, I 
I'm familiar with the Adirondack 46 high peaks. So there's the 46, they're, four, they're supposed to all be over 4,000 feet, though there are a couple that are just under it due to recent surveys. But it's the 46 high peaks of the Adirondack, so the 46 tallest mountains in this one region. And people climb it, you know, you become a 46er, you take a year or two years, however many years. Lots of people do it in the summer in one shot, but only, I think it's two people have ever done a consecutive winter round. So that's, you're going every single day, you're going pretty much nonstop trying to climb these peaks as fast as you possibly can. Wow. So um, I was like, this sounds great, and a woman's never done it, so I was like, even better, you know, like, I would love to be a pioneer and hopefully inspire other women to get out there, maybe not do that, if they want to do that, go for it, but just to really step out of their comfort zone, and uh, I totally had my butt kicked out there. <laughs> I, uh, there ended up, I ended up hitting probably some of the nastiest weather they had all winter long. And this was literally just three weeks ago, not even. I, um, it was negative 35 one night. I remember leaving the car at five, like two in the morning. It was negative five degrees when I left the car. With the wind chill, it was easily negative 35, negative 40 when I hit the first summit of this mountain. I mean, we had a blizzard that dumped almost four feet of snow. So, um, it complicated things. I unfortunately called it after my 26 seventh peak because it just at that point my body was so beat up I was already at the mileage I should have been to finish all 46 peaks I was already at about 240 miles in less than 10 days and um, well over 50,000 vertical feet wow so <laughs> but um, you know it was a really great test for me as well and I don't say that I failed I wasn't unsuccessful I was successful in that I I can take a lot away from that experience. Look, and I mean, come on, come on. First of all, who does that kind of thing? I mean, I on. think it's fun. <laughs> yeah, me too. I think it's great. I think it's awesome. I think it's better that you do it and you tell me how it went because that's just a little much for me. You know, and honestly, like, I mean, okay, I, I, had a, I had a problem. I had hypernitremia. I had too much salt the first night. So my GI system was completely a mess. You know, and then the really cold weather. I'm an asthmatic. I have chronic bronchitis. I've had bronchitis three times already this winter because of the weather and world's toughest mutter and the dust. So, I mean, negative 30 degrees does not help me at all. Um, but, you know, it's just, yeah, I'm learning about pacing, different types of nutrition. It's a, it was a completely different experience than anything I've ever done. To well, be pushing yeah. my body for that, for those many like days in a row, in that intensity, even though you're not running, I mean, you're talking about when it dumped all that snow down, you're breaking trail. It takes you, you know, eight hours to go three miles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, yeah. See that where I I throw the fork in it right about then. <laughs> How long has this taken? Well, we covered three miles in the last eight hours. Yeah. 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 This is like going backwards, right? Uh, No, I don't know if it would be faster actually backwards. It was pretty slow moving forwards. All right. So let's take a look at the rest of the season here. We're talking about you're going to do – now, I don't – you could tell me whether a couple of these are maybes or maybe nots. Yep. But it looks like you got Toughest Mudder, Atlanta in April, Toughest Mudder, Philly in May. Yep. Toughest Mudder – Whistler in June. That's going to be a tentative because I, you know, I think I definitely believe in listening to my body. If I feel like my system is getting a little taxed, 
I'm going to probably cancel that one because you'll see in August, I have a pretty big race in August. Yeah, so, yeah. so thank you for that because I was, yeah. after this conversation we were having earlier about, you know, respecting the need for recovery and what have yeah. you, and I'm looking at you beating yourself month after month after month, uh, I was going to give you grief about it. So I'm glad you you repelled a little bit there. Yeah, no, uh, anything on my race schedule, the only things that are for sure are, I would say, Atlanta, Philly, because it's close by, um, you know, and adventure racing world championships I'm doing in August. That's a six-day-long adventure race, you know, and, and that race, I think, sold, sold out in literally two minutes. Um, so that's really great for that sport because it's now, I think, coming back on the ups. I think um, so, too. You know, people are really getting into it. Um, and this year, the world championships, it's in Wyoming. Right. So, it's, you know, home home turf. Um, so I think that's going to be a really great race. And I'm really looking forward to it. Six days, you know, paddling. We have pack rafts. So they're going to be, uh, who knows where they're going to send us. You know, mountain biking, running, trekking, everything you could possibly think of. Um, so it's like going to summer camp for six days, I guess. Yeah. So I want to make sure that my body is completely rested and I'm really building up to, you know, to, to being a very strong athlete then. Um, so after that, you know, Chicago, probably not going to do toughest matter Chicago. We'll see if I can somehow shut it down for 10 days straight and do nothing and I feel good. I'll do it. But right now, there are no expectations. And I think it's really important that when anybody creates a race schedule, they need to create, they need to build in flexibility. And to kind of have some expectations, pick your A races, but have your B races and really be reasonable with yourself when it comes time to yeah. decide if you're going to do them or not. Yeah, I agree with you. And so I see that there's a, there's a to be determined in July for this Croatia adventure expedition. Yeah, that's a, a friend of mine has a a friend of mine uh, goes out there every summer and uh, he's he keeps on bugging me to get out there. So I'm gonna look into to tackling some wild thing out there. Just kind of coming up with like my own little little adventure race and going and tackling it. Well, you know, I I think I told you or invited you while we were out there in the middle of the Dust Bowl. Uh, the other night if you want to you should come hang out with us in uh, vermont i'm doing a clinic in killington uh the weekend i think it's the 22nd 23rd and oh, which uh, month? uh july oh really oh well yeah if i'm around i will definitely come up and come up and run around the the green mountains well aside from just running around we're going to do clinical work so you get a vo2 test done and and uh, let's kind of see what you're made of. I'm, I'm really curious. It'd be like a lab rat for me. I have no clue. I've actually, I've always wanted to do that testing. I've never done it. Um, you know, it's like, I'm, I'm very curious. I have no idea. I'm like, you know, I can go for days and I have energy for days, but I don't know how my, like, I'm not 100% sure how my body exactly runs. Like, well, the, the, the cool thing about it is that we're going to identify your ability to burn fat. And what's also cool is we do a resting metabolic assessment, which also identifies how efficiently your body's using energy over the course of a 24-hour period and just how many calories your body requires over that time frame. So we start their clinics. The day one is all about the testing. Day two, we do video analysis of the way you're running. And then we, we visit some hills and just kind of look at technique. It's not really about traipsing through the mountains as much as it is taking a real hard look at the way we move as we deal with various types of terrain and, and speed. Well, efficiency is everything. Yeah. And you know, I was like, 
you can, it's easy to blow up if you're not being efficient. Well, when you get a chance after the show, when you think about it, if you decide you really want to get serious about doing it, let me know. And uh, the, the host for the clinic is uh, the Cortina Inn in Killington. And the fellow that yeah. r- runs it is a sweetheart of a guy. And I'm sure we could probably get you a room. Sweet. That's awesome. I'll just, I can always, I'm pretty, you know, I'll just pitch my hammock out, out on two trees and yeah. <laughs> wake me up in the morning. It's no big deal. I'll probably be, you know, chopping wood somewhere. Yeah, that, we can get you an axe, right? Perfect. I have, I have quite a few, I have to say. I could just bring, bring one. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know why I knew that. <laughs> I do have a collection, actually. I'm, right. I've started. <laughs> okay, so we're going to go through... Adventure Racing World Championships, yeah. and then there's the OCR, U.S. OCR Championships. Ugh, probably not. Probably not, because tough is, if I'm feeling good, again, like, my fall, once this Adventure Racing World Championships hits, that will determine exactly what's going to happen in the fall, because there's Adventure Racing World Championships, and there's World's Toughest Butter. So, I mean, what's going to happen in between that? You have, yeah, U.S. OCR champs. You have Spartan Ultra Beast, Champs and Dao, which is, like, I love that distance. I DNF'd it two years ago. I had a nice nice lead on second place on the first lap, and I had got hypothermia, and I was out. So, I don't know. Maybe I'll be out there. Maybe I'll run it as a training run, not as a race. You have OCR World Championships, so that's a lot of racing. And, you know, honestly, like, I can't go balls to the wall that much and expect to do well at world's toughest mutter and world's toughest mutter is my super a plus race of the season no matter what yeah and it pays pretty good too yeah 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 i think so that's what i heard <laughs> <laughs> you already spent the money you know you did i spent it before i even raced <laughs> yeah yeah it's not you know you can be uh, you know food i i eat a lot of food so what can i say that's where it all went. It went on to Whole Foods. You know, it's interesting since you've had a chance to see the video and you kind of get a sense of how far back I come. Yeah. I, I like to draw parallels between the infancy of the sport of triathlon and what I consider to be the infancy of the sport of OCR. Mm-hmm. And initially, the sport of triathlon was kind of a survivalist thing, too. It, you probably don't recall because you weren't even born yet, but. Wide World of Sports picked up the event because they thought it was such a freak show. Nobody expected that triathlon was actually going to turn into a competitive event where, at the end of the day, people were actually trying to go as hard as they can to win the thing. And here it is now. It's in the Olympics. It's it's a big deal, and it's and there's pretty decent money. You know, some of the pros can actually make a living in the sport. And OCR is kind of following the same tack, I think, and. It's an interesting parallel, I thought, between Toughest Mudder and Spartans, completely different communities. Mm-hmm. Didn't you notice? Or is it oh. just me? No, they're completely different communities. I mean, um, like, it's also different. You know, Spartan, all of Spartans, it's a timed event. Like, even regular Tough Mudder, that's not timed. It's just, it's not a race. It's an event. It's very different obstacles, too. I mean, in my opinion, Spartans a lot more run-heavy. You know, Tough Mudder is way more obstacle-heavy um, and, and different types of obstacles. It's not pretty basic. They're, like, you know, they're, they're very innovative with what they do. Um, but I definitely see the parallel to triathlon. I was actually thinking about that when I watched the video. I was like, well, we are, 
in the beginning stages of this new era of sports. And I even said it the other day to somebody was that, you know, especially with the addition of, you know, social media and, you know, accessibility to extreme sports and to being, you know, being this person doing all these crazy things. I think people are just, they, they, you know, they're interested and they want to try it out. Right. Well, um, let me just give you some tidbits. That video that you saw, if you dissect it a little bit, mm-hmm. um, as you saw, probably the finish was Scott Molina, Scott Tinley tying. And if you look at the singlet that Scott Tinley is wearing, there's black electrician tape over the name of the brand on his singlet. And uh, the race number, which had a manufacturer's name on it, he folded it down so you couldn't see it. So at the end of the day, he was basically boycotting anybody that was, you know, he was wearing their product. He wasn't going to promote their product because there was no money in the sport yet. And his attitude was, I'm working hard here. If you're not going to pay me for this, I'm not promoting your brand. And he went on to develop a clothing line for sport early on. And I thought that went pretty well for him. I I mean, I don't know the details. But that's kind of how it came about. So I ended up uh, putting together the first pro race for CBS Sports the following year on Kauai. And I think we raised about $165,000 to give away in prize money. That's a lot. That's a big purse. Well, it was deep, though. I think the money went down probably, it was seated probably 10 deep. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the that's day... That's a huge uh, sport. That's, I mean, and and back then, I mean, that's, I still think that that's pretty decent. Yeah, yeah, it was. It was it was a good purse, and, you know, we had, obviously, with the coverage from CBS Sports, that helped a lot. But, see, that's where this is, I think, going now with the, mm-hmm. uh, if you just consider the coverage that OCR has been getting, all the major networks are starting to cover these events, which is huge. I mean, we, yeah. uh, CBS told us, either you guys either put on a good show or we're going to go do something else. Yeah. I mean, they were, like, ready to dump us. They didn't care. They said, odds are you may not get covered again for who know, knows how long. Anyway, for whatever it's but worth. But, yeah, it's, it is interesting. I mean, I, and you saw that race on, on Saturday night into Sunday morning. It was neck and neck. Right. It was unbelievable that an eight-hour, eight hours, so an eight-hour race could be so tight. But you also look at things like Iron Man. It's kind of like the same thing. Yep. Well, if you recall, I mean, back in the day, the, you know, the, the, duel, the duel out there on the lava fields between Dave Scott and Mark Allen. Mm-hmm. They were rubbing each other's shoulders during the marathon, and neither one of them would look at each other for those 26 miles as they were suffering because they were afraid that the other athlete would steal the mojo, right? And yeah. it was right down, right down to the very, very last little bit, so it was pretty exciting. And so on that note, I see that you came up doing a lot of triathlon. Yeah, well, that's how I'm, I finished college um in 2004 and I was at I was working a job and I always wanted to play sports like I've always wanted to be active and a coworker of mine was like you should go try a triathlon and I signed up with team and training so I raised money for the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society and I did my first triathlon in 2005 the New York City triathlon and I was hooked I loved it um I think what really appealed to me was the fact that it changed you know I was always focused on something else throughout the race so when I was focusing on the fact that I wasn't drowning in the water, I was like, I'm going to be on a bike soon. And then I was on the bike, and I would think about it a little bit, but then I'd think about the run. 
Um, and I just, I really enjoyed it. And I did a bunch of triathlons for, for many years. I got into half Ironman. I did do one Ironman. Um, I'd like to do another Ironman because I kind of winged that Ironman. I didn't really train for it. Um, so, uh, I'd like to actually see where I really, am, where I really stand as an Ironman athlete. But, um, I've learned a lot from training for triathlon. And I actually take a lot of that training and I apply it to my training today because I'm, I'm a firm believer in changing up my training, getting on the bike, you know, not, not putting as much pounding on my legs with running every single day. Well, I think that there is a pretty deep level of education that's gained from that sport that leads into this sport very nicely because it really comes down to how hard you can push your body for how long mm-hmm. and just the, the variability of using the upper body in the swim, using the legs very heavily on the bike and, and then the run, dealing with the environment. There's a lot of parallels between the sports. And I think there's some athletes in that sport that if they were to shift – it could be interesting. Oh, they! I think they would do very well in OCR. Definitely, there are. I think there are a lot of athletes out there. I do find it kind of funny when you have some of these great athletes and who are not, who've never done an OCR, and they're kind of intimidated by it. And they may be like a gold medalist or you know, a really accomplished in their sport. And I always laugh because I'm like, you are, you know, you excel at athletics. Like, you would do great at this. Like, just yeah. embrace it and go for it. Yeah, a young Chris McCormick, I think, would have done really well in this sport. Oh, yeah. You know, he's such a stud. Yeah, and, you know, it's like that energy. I mean, let's let's be real. Like, everybody that's out there racing, I'm really racing. They Everybody has such strong energy. And uh, you kind of, you know... They can help you a lot. You know, you just feed off of each other and use it to, to push you even harder. There's some big personalities in triathlon that would have translated well into OCR. Yeah, no doubt about it. Now, talk to me about your end game. I mean, obviously enough, you're kind of addicted to this endurance push. But, I mean, in, in the global thing, where do you see yourself in, say, 10 years? Oh, gosh, 10 years. Um, I had to push you outside this competitive uh, arena that's yeah, why I no. said tennis at a five. I was like, you in ten. Um, probably more taking on more expedition length, just like challenges. I um, I'm trying to learn how to paraglide, um, but that's going to probably take a few years to learn how to do that, and because of just time, and it's not it's not such a cheap sport. I'm finding out to really dive into, but um, I think that. Just more going on expeditions um, to, you know, crazy places all throughout the world is gonna is how I'm going to eventually steer my, you know, my career. Um, I'm going to still continue to race, but, you know, I don't think, I really don't know, actually, where, like, where I'll be. I'm sure I'll probably be adventure racing still. Um, you know, adventure racing is one of those sports where I see people of all ages adventure race. Um, you know, and sometimes I think... You know, you, as you grow older, you become wiser. Um, I definitely. Like to think so. Oh, for sure. I mean, some of the best endurance athletes I've met, even when I was in my 20s, were in their 30s and 40s. Um, and that was really nice to know because I, my 20s were kind of, you know, up and down and up and down. I was doing well, then I'd blow myself out with an injury and, you know, start all over again. I got smarter, and now, you know, knock on wood, I'm doing a lot better. But I think I'm definitely going to steer more towards just extreme challenges. And um, who knows, like, I don't know, maybe I'll have some TV show or something. I, was, I always thought, like, it could be, like, do some kind of, like, top gear thing, but more in, like, extreme sports. 
Do you know Eric Noctribe, I guess his name is? Uh, no, I don't. Okay, he's one of the producers for the Adventure Racing World Series. Oh. Yeah, I did an interview with him last year, and it was interesting how little he knew about OCR. Really? Yeah, <laughs> and, I mean, here's a guy that's made his bones in adventure racing, and, I mean, that's his thing. It's what he does, and he's all about uh, filming and producing these events. And so we were having this whole conversation. I said, dude, I said, do you realize how close the, the parallel is between adventure racing and OCR is? And, yeah. and he was like kind of poo-pooing the whole OCR thing, feeling like the adventure racers that he shoulders up with are far and away tougher, better athletes than are resident in the OCR community today. What are your thoughts on that kind of thinking? Um, I think it's kind of honest. I mean, here you're talking to an athlete who's an OCR athlete who's also an adventure racer. If anything, I find that now, you know, with World's Toughest Mudder and stuff and toughest races, oh my gosh, it's great for adventure racing. I'm actually like, this is going to be such a great season for me to build up to adventure racing world championships. Like OCR is like, you know, it's adapting and overcoming and, you know, figuring out a way, like maybe if you're not like Ryan Atkins who can have a hundred percent obstacle completion, like you figure it out. You know, you, I think there are great parallels between the two. Um, a 24 hour obstacle course race is really intense. Um, and you know, even in adventure racing, like those longer expedition races are a lot, are actually, you know, a lot slower paced because you can't just go balls to the wall sure. for 24 hours straight. And if you're like 24 hours, it's like 24 hours. It's an intense 24 hours you're out there. Three days is, in a way, it's a lot more, need I say, like, I'm going to maybe say the word casual, even though it's not the right word to describe it, but you have a little more time to kind of settle in and to, you know, get your feet underneath you. Well, the idea that you push your threshold over the course of those 24 hours, there's a limit to the energy that you can actually access if it's yep. going into your sugar stores hard. Where in adventure racing, because the pace is more of an aerobic endeavor, you can get away with it, and you wake up in the morning, you're ready to go again. Where yep. you finished uh, World's Toughest Mudder, you weren't going to get up in the morning and set out and do another 24 hours at that intensity. Oh, definitely not. Uh, I was eating a pint of ice cream and <laughs> thinking about when, how long I was going to sleep. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I'll tell you what, I was just out there watching the eight hour and one of my athletes brought a bottle of scotch for me and I would have tapped into that bottle had it not been for the fact that I planned on driving home. You, you, your thing's ice cream, my thing's a good bottle of old scotch. <laughs> I love ice cream. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, like, it's, uh, well, guess what? He'll get to see it this year because, you know, World Championships, that's on the ARWS schedule. So, um, you know, and, and my teammates even attest to it. They always joke around because um, I did a race with them in Taos uh, last year. It's called the Happy Mutant Adventure Race. It was an expedition-length adventure race. It was three days long. I did the a Red Bull Rise, which is a 12-hour vertical K challenge that I was talking to you about earlier. Um, so, you know, just run up, do as many vertical caves as you can in a 24, in a 12 hour period. And five days later I raced in Taos, which is aggressive, but, um, I had bronchitis and I raced with bronchitis. I was like, well, you know, it is what it is. And my teammates were joking because he said, this is the only way that we can keep up with you right now is because you have bronchitis. 
And uh, I laughed, but I credit a lot of, you know, my, you know, my energy and my endurance to this, like, you know, 24 hour stuff, this OCR stuff. It's a full body workout. It's head to toe. Um, And adventure racing is, you know, it was paddling, you know, paddling your upper body, but it is, you know, it is full body, but I think OCR is actually a little more intense. Right. Did you have to go through some transitional period to get your grip strength and obstacle skills up? Oh, yeah, and I'm still working on it. I mean, my body's a bit, my body's still taxed from that Adirondack thing, and, and I think that a lot of people don't realize is um, grip strength is a really great indicator of how your body is feeling. So before strength training workouts, I do a little grip test and uh, see, you know, where my grip is at, and if it's really below the line it should be at, I have to pull back the intensity. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I went from, it's funny, when I was a child, I was a gymnast. So I had great upper body strength, but because I was in focus on triathlon for so long, you know, in the pool is one thing, but my grip strength wasn't great at all. Um, and, you know, I had to spend a lot of time last year working on pull-ups and just dead hangs and all that nitty gritty stuff to be able to pull my body up. And I'm not light, like super light, you know, I weigh like 150 pounds, so it's not like flinging around 130 pounds. It's a lot, and that adds up over over eight hours or 24 hours. Did you weigh 150 pounds going into World's Toughest Motor? I was probably around 144, I think, 143, 144. Okay. I think I'm around like 144 right now, actually. I was 140, 150 for a while, but I'm like, but I was hovering in the mid 140s. But you're pretty tall too. What are you about five nine? Oh no, I'm five seven. Five seven. Yeah. Yeah. But I must uh, have shrunk a little bit while we were talking because I was a little tired. <laughs> Oh man, that's what age has. That's what age does to you, I guess. Yeah. Well, I hope Just not. <laughs> you have no idea. But I got to tell you, I got out this morning as I always do. I lace my shoes up and I get out there to go do a run. And it's like my wife says, she goes, "What are you gonna do this morning?" I said, "Well, I'm gonna gonna try to run." And I had such a great run this morning. And I don't normally get that. Some days I get up and it's just not gonna work. And some days I get up and it's just it's beautiful and. I mean, I actually got into some mojo. I started running, I mean, putting the work in, putting my heart rate up, feeling pretty good about it. Now, that probably means I'm not going to have another one of those for a couple of days. <laughs> and that's what happens when you get older is you just can't put them back to back anymore. Really? See, for me, so get on a bike. Go, you know, go ride a bike around, around your neighborhood. Yeah, and I'm actually better at that. I mean, I'm an old triathlete. So I got, my my bike with the, the bitchin' carbon wheels and the whole things is hanging in my garage next to my race helmet that looks like uh, something out of Buck Rogers. Get that out. <laughs> what, what are you waiting for? Yeah, I got to tell you, I did, my last triathlon was um, two years ago. I did Malibu Olympic, and uh, it was rough. I, you know, I, I came into the race really, really pretty strong. Mm-hmm. I, 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 you know, I put in the time, I put in the training, my bike splits were awesome. My run, my swim was great. My run always sucks these days. But I went into that race feeling pretty good about it and felt pretty good about being able to best my time from uh, – I did it six years prior. Six years prior, I said, this is my last one. I'm not doing this again. I'm getting too old for this shit. Oh, come on. Sabo, sister, Madonna Buter, 80 years old, completing Ironman. You have plenty of time. You know, she used to do my races. 
I love her. She makes me, when I watch that episode over and over again, I cry at the end of it when she finishes this one minute left. It's one of the most emotional race finishes I've seen in my whole life. Yeah, but, it's pretty crazy. But you have many years, so yeah. you, you don't say it's your last. <laughs> well, no, I, I came back six years later and did another one, but I, I don't know. I just, you know, they're sending, you know, when you get on the list, right, they send you the invites for the next race, and I'm like, yeah, yep. I don't know. I don't think so. I don't know if I'm going to put myself through this again. So maybe you have to change it up. I don't know. Like, find something completely new and random and off the wall, like something you would never think that you would try to do. I think I want to take up fighting. There you go. That's it. A lot of upper body. I'm a pretty good boxer. You know, I used to teach a little boxing. I work with some professional boxers, so I've had some schooling. Is it too late for a 64-year-old to get in and start fighting professionally? <laughs> Never. Never. I'm sure we can find some kind of – maybe we should just find a league. You know, we'll start a league for that. Yeah. Old men fighting. You know, UFC could pick it up. Yeah. What are they, what, it's like fight club for old guys. I like, like it. That. I really like it. Uh, okay. You'd have to put a mouthpiece in, but a lot of guys don't have teeth. At yeah, I was going to – are you going to – are the mouthpieces going to have, like, teeth painted on them, like fake teeth? Oh, no. <laughs> No, no, no. Well, Steph, um, this has been fun. I want you to t take a real strong consideration for uh, the offer I made to you. I definitely will. Uh, even if I'm out west, I would even consider flying back for it. I think it would be a, um, I think it would be a lot of fun just to to you know play around and to dig deeper into what's really going on. <laughs> well, I got to tell you, if you're out west. There's always the option of the secret lab, which is my, my famed little home clinic where people show up to get a chance to get evaluated, and we work on mechanics and stuff. So. Oh, I've seen Hunter's videos. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, actually, yeah, well, well the, the plan is, is come July-ish, we'll see the exact timing of it, but uh, it's to relocate out west for the next, like, six, for the second half of the year. Well, when you get a chance, go to naturalrunningcoach.net. Yes. And you'll see the agenda for the, the clinics that we're putting on. We're going, uh, like I said, I'm going to Kansas City this weekend, and then we're going to, uh, where are we going next? We're going to Austin, Texas. We're doing a clinic there. Then we're going to go to... Vermont, and then we're going to Phoenix. So for people to find you, and you're doing some coaching, right? I am doing some coaching. Um, not a lot of it. It's more of a, you know, as long as if I have the time, I will take on the clients. I just don't like to, you know, I'm very into, like, really, like, being one-on-one -on -one with them and dedicating my time to making sure that they have everything that they need. Um, so I do some coaching. Um, you know, I right now I don't really have anybody in person. I do it remotely um, for you know people that are doing tough mutter, toughest mutter, world's toughest mutter. You know, kind of anything. And uh, people can find me on. I have a website, stephaniebishop.com. Um, it's with an S. Um, or you know, you can follow me on social media. I'd say I'm probably most active on Instagram, um, and that's Steph Adventures. And you could just find, kind of follow some of the crazy stuff that I do. I take my GoPro everywhere with me, and uh, her name's Patricia, and, <laughs> and uh, we, we have a good time together because I'm usually by myself when I'm out in places, so it's just me and the GoPro, and we're chit-chatting with each other. And I've been kind of bad, but I, I promised people I've been working on a YouTube channel, um, but now that I've kind of come back to life after the Adirondacks, I can get back to it. 
So um, hopefully I will have a bunch of videos up soon, kind of just taking you along and what goes on in my life and showing you the really crappy parts of training and, you know, also showing you some really beautiful things as well. Is there going to be a book? Maybe eventually one day, you know. I mean, I think I, I have a lot of stories to tell, and, you know, I think that it's important to share with people, um, you know, when things go bad, you know, what happened, because, you know, nothing nothing is ever perfect, and, you know, no, I'm not, I'm far from perfect, and, you know, I'll be out there, I have this video, it's great, it's from Colorado when I was out there last year training, and I was on a mountain bike, and I was riding up all these switchbacks, and my pedal wasn't tight enough, and it kept on clicking out of my pedal, and I was getting really pissed off, and I clicked out of it going up this hill, and I, like, stood on my bike, and I, like, threw my bike, which hit me, which actually hit the ground and hit me back, <laughs> dropping all these F-bombs, and then you're breathing for 10 seconds, and all of a sudden, I'm like, stop, and I look at the camera, and I'm like, why am I so angry? I was like, I am so lucky to be in such a beautiful place right now. This is ridiculous. Like, so what if I'm not having a great day on the bike? It doesn't matter. Like, it happens. Like, just get on the bike and cruise and have a good time. And um, I think, like, that's just something just really important to keep on reiterating. That's and, good advice to self. You know, it's great advice to self. I, when I was super anal retentive about racing, I would race, I would do well, but I got hit by a cab on my bicycle in Central Park one year, three weeks out from triathlon nationals, and I still went to the race with a broken mouth of teeth, um, a mouth of broken teeth. And I remember I was just going out there to have fun, like not even be concerned about racing. And it wasn't my best time, but it was far from my worst time. So it just goes to show you that if you put your energy in the right places, like you're, you'll achieve a lot more than if you focus on all the negatives. That's real good advice to take it away. Yeah. Well, look, Steph, again, really enjoyed meeting you. Really appreciate you taking the time to do this with me. And I'm looking forward to seeing you either at the Secret Lab or possibly in Vermont. Vermont's going to yeah. be fun. We're going to have a good time. The uh, the resort, I've been there already. It's awesome. The guy throws down. It's like it's like being home. And it's so beautiful in, in Killington as well. So Vermont in the summer, the weather is perfect out there. I mean, it's just like you can't ask for anything better than that. Yep. So thanks so much, and uh, we'll catch up. Great. Thank you so much, Rich. Have a great day. Well, friends, it's time to bring another show to a close. Be sure and tune in to us next week. We've got a lot of great content in store for you. I want you to tell your friends to check us out. You can always find us on Facebook. Simply go search the Natural Running Network. Drop us a message. I'd love to learn more about you and the things you do. And until then, you have an amazing day.